The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Good evening and welcome everyone into the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all joining us here for this Wednesday evening or if you're checking us out later on after the recording as well too. Happy Star Wars week slash pre-May the 4th to all of those who celebrate. We appreciate you taking some time out of your busy Star Wars schedule in a galaxy far, far away to join us to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of sports today. It is DJ joined as always by my co-host Kelsey and Kelsey, last year for this episode, we went a little bit heavy on the Star Wars, talking about some of the own lightsabers and things like that we'd like to see. Probably won't quite go that far today since it's not officially May 4th, but definitely got to take some time to celebrate the holiday for all those who do celebrate. Yeah, you know, I I, I got to say, uh, I we didn't we didn't pull out our lightsabers for this one. We actually have uh, gotten lightsabers since the last episode. Um, I probably should have now that I think about it. I probably should have should have came prepped and ready with that one. Uh, but you know what? I you know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna go too 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 heavy on the on the force on this one. But um, yeah, it's just you know some days so we got to nerd out sometimes. And maybe this year isn't the, isn't the one because it's not May the fourth. But we'll still give you a little nerd. There's a statue of limitations on our nerdiness, and it probably draws a line somewhere right around there. But we definitely got a very fun action-packed show today. We're going to talk a little about the NBA, which, yes, guys, we do talk about basketball. I know it's been a few weeks with NFL draft stuff so since we've really touched too much base on it. We got that, plus we got, of course, a little bit of the NFL draft. The reactions, some good, some bad, and a little bit of ugly, and some wild predictions. And you know what? We're just going to call it tomfoolery for crunch time. We're not going to get, we're not going to spoil it too much. We'll call it tomfoolery. I think that kind of summarizes everything that we have for crunch time. So. You're definitely going to want to stick around and see what we have coming up. And you know what? I think just look on your face from that one. I think Tom Fuller might even be understated. Maybe we should just go with pure blasphemy in some case. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe we should call it blasphemy. Maybe we should call it shenanigans. Maybe we can call it Lance Stevenson reincarnated um, potentially uh, if, if we want to get really down to it. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, we can call it a lot of things, but uh, I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll come up with something eventually. We will definitely cross that bridge when we get there. But first, that first off, that's going to take us now into the first segment of our show. That is, of course, known as the tip-off. And for the tip-off, brought to you by SeatGeek. Of course, use code BellyUpSports for $20 off your first order on SeatGeek. Go check out some of these wonderful sporting events in person or concerts or just about anything that requires seats. So we're going to start off in the association. We're going to keep it close to home and simple with that one. And it's been kind of a – we've missed a lot since we last started talking about basketball. Really, The first round is pretty much wrapped up. Round two. Some teams are already pretty much dead in the water, some still alive and kicking, and some, well, we just have to wait and see. But we're going to go and start with a little bit of a round round one recap. The surprising thing for me is a number one seed and a number two seed go down. We see the eight-seeded Heat. Gentlemen sweep the Bucs. They kind of, I know the games were kind of close in some cases, but a five-game sweep, a five-game gentleman sweep, eight over one. Giannis, a potential MVP candidate, had a rough series. Yeah, he wasn't able to get loose, and the rest of the team around Drew Holiday didn't look quite all all world point guard like he has. Chris Middleton, where? Brooke Lopez had moments, but it was Jimmy Butler is just Jimmy Butler, and I feel like the Heat and Jimmy Butler seem to be the Bucks' kryptonite the last handful of years, minus that one time that they were swept. At, ironically enough, yeah, that, that one time. Uh, but yeah, no, it is it is kind of uh, it is kind of weird how the I don't know I don't know if it's if it's if it's Jimmy B or, or if it's Bolster at the end of the day. I mean, we always talk about you know coaching being a, uh, an impact on, on the playoff side of things. And, but don't get me wrong. Jimmy Butler is a fantastic player and he really carries that offense. That is completely inept at times. Um, but also I don't want, I want to say Kyle Lowry still playing, not like the sarcastic playoff Kyle, but like the real 
playoff Kyle. Um, it's it's kind of surprising. And then you know, yeah, on the other side of things, you you wonder Chris Middleton, where you at? Uh, Drew Holiday, wait, what are you doing? Um, hmm. You know, Giannis, like he, he did what he could. But when you when you're one man when when you when you're the one man wrecking ball, it doesn't always work out. Um, and also, I gotta give credit to what credits do there. Bam did did a fantastic job, and in a in a matchup that we talked about last year, being like, hey, he could take advantage of this matchup if he just attacks the basket. Well, guess what he did this year? He attacked Absolutely. the basket, and then the, you know, and so it actually is a uh, is something that 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 is really nice to see that you saw it from Bam. Finally, um, it only took a couple years feels like but that's you know what that's not the only player that's taken a couple years for them the you know the things we talk about for them to finally come to fruition um looking at you anthony davis mm. but uh yeah it's a uh, you know it, i will say this was it was surprising i guess to see the bucks lose but at the same time i don't ever count out the heat that's like the one i just never never count them out uh for the ever uh and, and you know along that line of surprises i guess uh I'm not surprised by it, but I guess a lot of people might say they're surprised by it, and that's the Kings and Warriors going seven. Um, again, I called this that it would go seven. I said the Kings would win. Well, okay, I was wrong, but you know what? It was the it was actually I didn't even say I who would win. I said you know I don't want to pick because I don't want to show my bias. Uh, but yeah, the Kings obviously uh, losing out on that one. The Warriors taking the victory uh, in seven. But you got to say that was one of the better series we've seen in a long time. Um, from top to bottom, blowouts on both sides, close games on both sides, last second shots on both sides that missed. Um, so yeah, it it was absolutely great, great, great showing from top to bottom. And you know, I, we'll be interested to see what the Kings can do going into next year too. Well, I'm not biased, so I'm going to go in on this one a little bit as well too. And that beam, that beam should have been lit one more time. My problems with that series were a. De'Aaron Fox getting injured just kind of sucked. Obviously, he still played through it, didn't miss any time, and he still was effective. It's just you could tell he was he was a nine out he was a nine out of ten as opposed to his normal ten out of ten self. And to beat the Warriors, you need to be ten out of ten with your best player, especially when he's going head to head with Steph Curry. Who Steph Curry, the absolute chef this entire series. That game seven, one for the ages in my lifetime, top five playoff game I can remember as an individual performance as well. Maybe. Maybe top 10 for sure. I, I still like his game four against the Celtics last year, considering what was on the line and the fact that his teammate was so visibly shaken by the crowd that Steph literally took it all on his back so Draymond could get out of his his little thing he was in is what we'll call it. So I'll say last year's – so that's two postseasons in a row where Steph's had a potential all-time great game, which crazy to think that he technically only – out of his four finals, he has one finals MVP, and most people called him like the quote-unquote most overrated superstar because of that. Yet two all-time great performances. So that game seven, absolutely incredible. A great series from him as well. My problem is after the game, after it was two nothing, the Kings were up. You saw some. You saw a lot of the national coverage of it saying like that the refs were dictating this series. The reason the Kings were up was because of the. And then from there, it spiked on its head. And obviously, I'm not someone blaming the refs. I'm not going that. I'm not that ridiculous. But it is kind of like. Really, you you cried, you got your way, and then you're going back. Like, well, the Warriors were bet. No, they were kind of dead dead to rights. And then, unfortunately, then they made good adjustments, and then they won the series. In addition to Sabonis for getting to play offense more, except for one half, and De'Aaron Fox injuring his finger. But that was just kind of frustrating. Is they're up 0-2, and then people were already saying it's the officials letting the Warriors win. But we didn't see it in reverse once the Warriors came back. You know, when you look at the entire series, the fouls were pretty much split even. There was like the foul calls were pretty much even. So it was a lot of weenie hut juniorring from the people who cover it. Now that they're playing the Lakers. You won't hear a sound if they if they start getting clapped on like they were in this in the first game as well. So 
that was a little bit that was my frustration with as a non-kings fan it's like really you're trying to take away the shine from the beam that was that was some weenie hut junior stuff so i disapprove of any especially from people espn fox like you were considered well not so much anymore but you're supposed to be considered unbiased and like a relevant source to hear from these things and that's just the, anytime the quote, worldwide leader in sports at one Ex- point in time Exactly. Anyone who uses officials in that sort of case, it's like, really? You're saying that's why the Kings are up 2-0 because they're beating up the Warriors? You're telling me Draymond Green's getting beat up by Dante Zabonis, who, by the way, he's seven foot one. He does not play seven foot one. He plays six foot four and a half with, with cleats on. So, the, honest, I digress. I won't go in too far on this because I'll sound like the Kings fan here. It was a great series. The Kings will be back. They are a dangerous team. They kind of remind me of the Warriors before the Warriors became the Warriors, honestly. Like how they kept having those battles with the Clippers early on before they finally took off. So uh, the Kings will be fine. The Warriors, Steph Curry, outstanding. Show that they've never lost a series under Steve Kerr that wasn't a final series. And the fact that the Kings almost pulled that off and were within a stupidly good third quarter away from it happening, that's a kudos to the Kings, kudos to the coach here, Mike Brown, and they'll be back. They'll be fine. And the Warriors, they... They already clearly have their work cut out for them with the Lakers, but I'll let you touch on the beam a little bit. I've hogged a lot of the time with the beam, so you can you can jump in now. Uh, I just want to, you know, you talk about the refs, and the, the only thing that I really have a problem with with the refs is the stupid illegal screens. And we've talked about this with the Warriors for I don't know how many years. The, illegal, the amount of illegal screens that happen on a Warriors offensive possession is insane. The amount that get called in a game is nearly zero. Uh for the on the Warriors, I should say, um, Kayvon Looney is the only one I've seen get really called, and they're because because they're so egregious, it's ridiculous. And God forbid they call one on Draymond Green, it's almost like you just ended the world. And the amount of stuff that Draymond Green gets to talk to refs without getting a technical is also insane to me. Because between the two things, if you guys didn't catch games Game Seven, Draymond Green actually physically tacked like blocked or moving tackled or forechecked or whatever terminology you want to use for any other sport a king's defender at one point in time and it was just let go now don't get me wrong it's in the middle of Steph curry's craziness but any little bit there it's it's a seven point game any little bit could possibly turn the momentum the other way and it's just like you're gonna call these calls on the kings but you're not gonna call a an illegal screen on the warriors when it's so egregious you're being made fun of scott brooks for the for for basically refereeing a what turned into a hockey game, like, Scott Foster, right? Scott Foster, yeah, not Scott. Yeah, Scott. Well, no, Scotty no, Brooks no. doesn't need to catch strays now. He's had to deal with. Yeah, my, my bad, my bad, Scotty Brooks. I'm sorry. You, you know what? I'm just so flustered here. I'm yeah, I'm getting two subjects mixed together. I'm getting our next topic mixed up. Uh, but yeah, no, Scott Foster is obviously the bane of every opponent of the Warriors' existence. It feels like, and Chris Ball especially. Uh, but you know, I, I, look, I. I don't want to take this down to the rest, but I do just want to point that out as far as refereeing goes. That's my one big frustration with referees is just the illegal screens and the amount of stuff Draymond gets to talk without getting a technical. We saw technicals on every any any other player for just like being like, what? Are you kidding me? That's a foul? Versus Draymond literally screaming and grabbing a referee and not getting a technical. So it was just like, okay, maybe – Maybe figure that out. I don't know. Maybe Draymond has a way with words. Maybe he kissed the Blarney Stone a few two thousand times, so he has the gift of gab. I don't know. But uh, yeah, no. I love. I look. I love. I love the fact that the Kings are back. I'm going to say they're back. Uh, and look to see to see them back in the playoffs was fantastic. That was a dream come true after twenty something years of just misery. Um, <laughs> it is. It was. It was absolutely fantastic to see. And yeah, I. I mean, 
look, win or lose at the end of the day, it was I'm, I'm still a Kings fan. It's not going to change. And it, it's kind of nice to see also that the Warriors and Kings can kind of renew a rivalry that maybe never existed in, in a lot of ways because the Warriors were always bad when the Kings were good and the Kings were always bad when the Warriors were good. So it's, it's, it's kind of very interesting. And, and it's a rivalry that I think the sport needs. And I think you talk about the state of California. The state of California actually needs a Northern California rivalry. Um, they obviously have the Clippers and Lakers down south. So why not add a little bit of extra spice to it? There no longer needs to be a Kings-Jazz rivalry. I want to see a Warriors-Kings rivalry. That'd be nice. Um, Maybe we'll yeah, get no, a Kings-Lakers renewal. Maybe we'll get that rivalry renewed again soon. No, I'm good. <laughs> Scott, Foster, Scott Foster would referee every game in that, that series. I don't want to see that. Fair play as well, but it's definitely something to keep keep an eye out for them on as well. Too glad to see them back, and we're going now on eight years of please call the run blocking power O screens. But we're eight years and counting is probably unfortunately not going to change right now. It's it's illegal man downfield or something. Like give me give me some kind of football <laughs> penalty on on Draymond at, at one point in time. Like illegal crack block at this point. Like uh, call something Tripping. like a loop block. Like there anything, but. The other series that we'll touch base on, we won't touch base on too many of the other ones because some of them were wipeouts as well, too, that weren't quite as surprising. But the one that did surprise us was the Lakers getting the upset over the over the Grizzlies. And I don't think it's that they upset them because we both kind of talk about it. it's kind of the way they smacked them all over the place. The only time they lost is when they clearly didn't give it, you know what? Followed up by a 40-point W in Game 6. Not one, not two, not three, 40 in Game 6 over the number two seed. I'm glad you didn't count to 40 right there because that would have been a long time. I, you know what? I already, I forgot what comes after that. So I cut myself off there, but I, my problem with that one is too, is we're going to actually just skip ahead to the aftermath is still in Brooks, uh, kind of catching a little bit of the heat for it. in some cases, rightfully so in other cases, they have basically said, you're the scapegoat. You're the reason that we lost. And now he's by under by, and I quote under no circumstances is coming back to the Grizzlies, which I'll say that they did him dirty by making him the fall guy as much as he, he deserves some of the heat. He deserves some strays, but not from the Grizzlies. Literally everyone else can throw strays at him, and that's fine. But the, when your own team's throwing it at you, when there, there's a lot of issues when it comes to the Grizzlies. They lost that series for a lot of reasons, and Dylan Brooks talking a little trash and playing meh was not one of them. There was a lot of other issues that went into that that series loss. And sorry, Dylan Brooks, but uh, you're, you're going somewhere else, and you're going to catch all the blame for this one, and you're probably going to get a bad contract for it. Yeah, bye bye, Brooksy. Like that's 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 the biggest. I'm so excited to see this. Like I've never been a Dylan Brooks fan. Um, so, well, let me rephrase that. I was a Dylan Brooks fan coming out of Oregon. That first year coming out of Oregon, I, I actually enjoyed watching his game. And then it was like the the flip the the switch flipped, and it was just a completely different Dylan Brooks after that. And I don't know what happened because he forgot how to shoot, he forgot how to defend, got to do everything. He just decided to look like a scorpion on the court, um, and and to play like a I don't know Robert Tractor t- trailer. Uh, like it's I okay I don't like the fact he's catching strays from the from the Grizzlies organization but I also will say don't poke the bear if you're not ready for the results and let's all know though the one person you don't need to give bulletin board material in the NBA is LeBron James just like in the NFL you don't give Tom you didn't give Tom Brady bullet board material you didn't give Peyton Manning bullet board material you didn't give Tony Romo bullet board material at that point in time. Like they'd all piss you up for, for giving you bullet board, bullet board material. You just didn't need to do it. But in the NBA, it is very clear. The one man that you do. And I, I'd say what I'd say two. And the Kings fans learned this as well. And Steph, you don't do it to Steph either, but really the number one, as far as what he can do to a game and manipulate every single little facet of a game 
through a series is LeBron. You just don't do it. Just don't piss him off because he has a way. It's not just him that he plays for. He, his teammates play for him. And it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, you talk about some of the players he's played with. He's played with some of the worst players ever to take to a finals. And yet they all still had great things to say about playing with him. Yeah, he was tough, but he was a great guy to play with for him. And it's like, that just tells you when they played with him, they were playing for him. And so it's not, not just, it's not just LeBron you pissed off. It's Anthony Davis who gave you everything. <laughs> Absolutely all the smoke. It's D'Angelo Russell who gave you all the smoke in game, in game five. It's Austin Reeves who gave Jeez. you all the smoke in game four. You know, Rui it's, 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 yeah, Rui Hachimura who gave you all the smoke in game one. Like, <laughs> and even that Vanderbilt who didn't really give you a whole lot of offensive smoke, but he gave you all the defensive hell you could ever handle. So, like, I don't know why. Dylan Brooks thought it was a great idea to be like, nah, I don't care what he says until he gives me 40. Like, don't do not do that because what's going to happen is he won't give you 40, but the Lakers will tell you to hold a 40-piece L. And oh, and exactly you have 20 points and 20 rebounds. So there's a form of yeah. 40 the next day too. And so it's like, you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't like him catching strays from the Grizzlies. But, man, you do not – poke the bear you do not stand on the tracks when the train is coming whatever analogy you want to use you don't do it and then you don't double down on it like if he had done if if lebron in the, in the middle of the series he as lebron was just absolutely piecing him apart no longer even letting dylan brooks be a thing if he had just been like yeah lebron's having a great series nothing we can do about it you know it's, it's gonna be one of those things we just gotta try to stop everybody else Okay, you're done. You're not going to catch the strays. You're not going to do. You're not going to be that guy anymore. You're not going to be the next Lance Stevenson. Which I hate to say anybody's being the next Lance Stevenson, but right now you are well on your way to being the next Lance Stevenson. Um, and I don't. I, I. I. I don't. If you're gonna talk the trash, you also have to accept the fact that when you lose, you have to admit the fact that you were the reason that you like you assisted in your team's loss. He has. There's no culpability from Dylan Brooks so far. He is not taking culpability anywhere. The Grizzlies are just basically like, since you didn't take culpability, bye. Like, we don't need you to be part of this new grindhouse version. So, and I think that's a lot of what this message is, is it's more like, hey, if you're not going to take onus for what you said and what you did, we don't want you around. And and the only reason I say that is because you look at the John ja Morant situation of this year, Ja coming out and apologizing. Ja, and then, and, 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 you know, that being done kind of saved Ja's career plus you also don't really trade your franchise player but at the same time like that's my only consideration like i look at this and be like okay well he wasn't really helping ja he wasn't wasn't helping the team by any means he wasn't helping out their coach by any means so you know if you're not going to take not going to take responsibility for your actions like what do you what can you do for this organization going forward and the answer is nothing and so i i don't blame the grizzlies but i don't like what they did at the end of the day saying it's all his fault basically like I don't know. There's a fine line to walk there. And I think saying it's all his fault was the problem. Telling him he's not going to be there, though, I totally get. It's like, I understand saying like, hey, we're going to let him test for agency. But under any circumstance and pretty much <laughs> old underline exclamation point headlining that, like that's where it was like really in a little you bit. You could there. be he, a free signing and we'd still say no. Like, oh, OK, wow. We'll, we would sign anybody besides him. That's where it got a little bit extra when the problems with that team still kind of lie in fact that John Morant kind of talks a little bit more trash than everybody else on that team combined. Like they follow as their leader and their leader was nearly suspended for 50 games for 
IG activities is what we will call them as well. Too. Yeah, extracurricular IG activities. That's a good way to put it. And it kind of starts with him as well, too. Like, he needs to be a smarter player that talks less on the court. And th- this is completely separate from but he needs to quit trying to jump over people. Like, my goodness, you're so athletic. Jump around them and get a 360 layup. Quit hey. trying to posterize everybody. You're going to hurt yourself even more. At trying to jump over LeBron, I thought he died the way he landed. He did a, He almost did a John Elway helicopter. That gravity quit is trying to jump over people. Gravity is the only thing in the world that is undefeated. And it wins with a knockout every single time. And I, I don't want him to end up Derek Rosian. I want him to be able to play for a long time and explode around people. Use that athletic ability to Euro set step, to spin, to jump around them, to jump step. Quit trying to put your kneecaps on other people's faces 14 times a game. You know, you know if he never needs a, a reason to not do that, just look at Sean Livingston and that horrific, that horrific injury he had for trying to just dunk on everybody. And then thankfully Sean Livingston learned how to play on the ground after that. But you talk about freakish athletes. He was really the first. And then you saw Derek Rose do it as well. And then you're just like, Oh, oh, okay. Maybe we don't do that a lot anymore. Like maybe there's a reason why those type of athletes don't last long in the NBA. So yeah, I'm sorry. It's a freak and he stopped trying to jump over people. Now he uses it. It sometimes is for better and sometimes for worse, but he uses it for layups and like mid range and out those type of things too. He's not trying I wish to he would use it for his mid range more. We that yeah, I don't know what happened to that mid range. Probably the legs gone and that disappeared too. But he quit trying to put nuts on people's heads and suddenly he's able to play a lot longer and he still looks explosive. The ball doesn't always go in the hole, unfortunately, anymore, but that's a different issue. That has nothing to do with him being able to play an athletic ability. So take some notes there. Take some notes elsewhere. Grizzlies, uh, we'll see. We'll see if they can bounce back next year. They were missing Steven Adams and Brandon Clark in the paint, which definitely hurts when you go with Anthony Davis. But Dylan Brooks, uh, where do you think he's going to land next year? If I had to guess, I wouldn't see. I would be surprised to see him come to a team that really could use like a six man rotational piece. Maybe, honestly, maybe Philadelphia doesn't sound like a bad option either as well. A guy that can kind of spell in there with when Harding comes out, something. So I'll go with Philly. I think he could be a useful piece and a contender, but he's not going to get that larger offensive role like he supposedly wanted as well. I think he's still going to, he's still got to be a three and D guy for at least one more year because of the way things happen. But uh, you think he, you think he finds another home or do you think it's going to be a little bit rough out there for Guangdong Gong Tigers? No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> not going to say he's going to, I'm not going to say he's going to uh, China or Japan, uh, but I will say, I do think he ends up overseas. I honestly don't know if anybody, if you think about it, like if you think about the teams that would take a Dylan Brooks right now, who who really pops into your head? Like, yeah, you just mentioned the Sixers, but let's be real. Who on their starting, let's say in their starting seven rotation, let's say in their seven-man rotation, eight-man rotation that they use for the Sixers, who does he replace that's really, that he's better than? It's not going to be Shake Milton. That's probably the eighth man on the on the rotation. Um, it's not going to be Gorka and Fermaz. Still better than, than Dylan Brooks. He can at least score. So I, I like, I look at, I, I just like going through the NBA. If I'm looking at top seven, top eight in the rotation, there are very few teams where I'd say he'd slide in and, and fit that team. And I'm talking even like 15 seeds, like 16, like the 15 seeds in both East and West conference. Like I don't still don't think he's good enough the way he's been playing to do that. And I think going overseas and relearning his game, I think would, would definitely help him. I don't want to say he's going to go G League because I feel like once you go down to the G League from the NBA, you're kind of in that no man's land where it's tough to get back up. Um, but I do think going overseas, we've seen it happen all the time. Somebody goes overseas and they come back and they're they're even better. Um, you know, I look at Michael Beasley when he went over to China and came back, much better player in the NBA than he was before. 
Um, you've seen it he's time and time again. Uh, maybe he joins his buddy in Lance Stevenson in Puerto Rico. They seem to be taking a bunch of NBA players um, lately. I mean, again, I'm just kidding, but I don't <laughs> think he goes there. I do think he actually ends up in a EuroBasket team um, in that in the Euro Basketball League. Um, but I don't know. I couldn't give you like a, a maybe Fenerbahce type of situation, but I do think he ends up overseas. I honestly don't. I can't think of an NBA team that really wants to take a flyer on Dylan Brooks, considering all the stuff that's happened this year. I just don't know. Everybody seems to be trying to go PC with their their team, and Dylan Brooks seems to be the anti-PC right now. So I don't know if there's a fit for him anywhere in the NBA until he can figure out his game. Because right now, it just it looks like I look like I'm looking at a player who doesn't know what type of basketball player he is anymore. Because if you think about Dylan Brooks coming out of college, he'd shoot threes, he'd attack the basket off the dribble, and he'd play defense. But you watch the Dylan Brooks now, I'm not getting any defense, not getting any attacking the rim. I'm getting a measly step back three occasionally that does that 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 doesn't even go in over 30% of the time. So what are you actually giving me, Dylan Brooks? Because it's not assists, it's not steals, it's not secondary help or anything. So I don't I don't know. I don't know, but I do think he ends up overseas. I just don't think I don't I don't see an NBA team taking that risk on him. And maybe I'm wrong, but I just the, don't see it this first year. The ironic fit is if him and Draymond end up on the same team and just throw him on the Lakers too, just to make it an absolute mess. Mm-hmm. Let's just turn it into a circus at this point as well. Like this, this so is throw illegal screens. So many there. That's the least of their issues at that point. I mean, throw Lance Stevenson on there too. Just bring back, just bring back the ticks of LeBron's past, present and future. Just throw it, throw it all in there at once. Let's, let's make it you a know, circus. I, hell. I, I, I joked about the Puerto Rican league, but did you know an active players in the Puerto Rican league? There are seven players that have either played with LeBron or guarded LeBron in a playoff series at one point in time. Well, it looks like you're trying to make it eight, so we'll definitely keep an eye on that one as well because it's very, very possible. But we'll de- that's definitely something we'll keep a lookout for as well, too. And before we wrap up the topic on basketball as well, do you want to give a quick note that the process has finally paid off to an extent as well as Joel Embiid being named NBA MVP for the first time in his career, finally getting past that second place in the MVP voting. Unfortunately, it comes as he's kind of hurt as well, too, So because he missed that game. But it looks like he's set to come back for their next game as well. But congratulations, Embiid. A fantastic season, a historic-level season. Well-deserved MVP, and now he's got to carry him home. You got you stole game one from the Celtics without him. See if he can start to get back and lead his team there because he's been sensational. If you can get him at 90% health, they might have a good run to the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe even the Finals if they could get by the Celtics. Yeah, and I agree with RJ down here. Well deserved MVP. Honestly, probably should have happened last year. Uh, if we're being if we're being completely honest, this might this this probably should be his second straight uh, MVP. And and you know, look, the NBA doesn't always get it right, but they got this one right without a doubt. Um, and and you know, we talked about this when, when we did our, our MVP commentary that you know, there's one of three guys and 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 uh, sorry, looking at the comment, did you miss did you guys rave about Jimmy Buckets? You did miss us raving about Jimmy Buckets uh, against the, the the Bucks a little bit ago, um, but but yeah. Uh, we, we'll we talk about Jimmy Buckets. We'll nickel and some change. We definitely, we definitely yeah. touched base on that. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. When when he comes back from his injury next week, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about him because I'm sure he'll have something to say to the Knicks here coming up soon. Um, but yeah, no, Embiid, as far as Embiid goes, I, I do think this should have been the second straight or, you know, second consecutive MVP. But, like, you don't get it right all the time. Maybe could have given it to Giannis this year. Who cares? I'm glad they got it. They got they got this one. At least he got one. And And, you know, I say that. Knowing full well back in the day, Steve Steve Nash at least he got one was in in you know in favor of over Kobe, so you know not the greatest moment ever, but yeah, 
uh, you know, yeah, you look back at that and then like, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe you should have just gotten the second one, not the first one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so uh, yeah, look, I, I'm glad Embiid got one at least. Um, didn't really, like, I, I don't feel bad about either one of the other guys losing in Jokic or, or Giannis. So yeah, 100%. Lo- love that, that Embiid got the MVP. Now I just need to see him beat the Celtics because any, any Eastern Conference finals without the Celtics is a great Eastern Conference finals. <laughs> And you know what? The Celtics might see some serious changes next year if they don't get by the Sixers. But that's a topic for another day. We got, we're only one game into that series, so we'll come back to that next week. So definitely tune in for that. But now we're going to turn our attentions to Kelsey's second favorite part of every show, and that is the main event. And for the main event, we're going to go to the gridiron. And you thought draft season was over? Well, it technically kind of is. But we wow. got to wrap it up here. We got to put it, we got to put a bow on as well, too. As the NFL draft is wrapped up. We got some winners. We got some losers. We got some what are you doing? We got some lookout next year. So. We're going to go and start with some of these NFL draft day winners, some teams that we walked out of the draft and we're like, yeah, they made a big jump. They, they, they did pretty well. So Kelsey, I'll let you lead the way. What's one team that you, after draft weekend, you're just like, yeah, they got a lot better, like significantly better than everyone. Then, then they were going in. I don't know if I'd say significantly better. I mean, they were just in a Super Bowl, uh, but I got to say <laughs> that the Philadelphia Bulldogs are a fantastic drafting team. Um, I don't think they did really anything wrong on any three on all three days. I think they 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 really didn't take a step wrong. Tons of Georgia Bulldogs now in Philadelphia, uh, helping each other find new apartments and things. Hmm. Um, bunch of Philly cheesesteaks are about to be devoured by a bunch of dogs. So I don't know, you know, what else you, you can expect there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I like I like that their picks. Jalen Carter, obviously, them getting them them ending up with Jalen Carter there. Did we talked about it being a potential possibility? Didn't really think it was going to happen for a while there. I got to be honest. I definitely thought he was going top five at one point in time um, with all the trades that happened. But yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to start off and I'm going to say the Eagles, well, Bulldogs, whatever they want to call themselves now at this point in time are uh, Philadelphia as, as probably one of my, my, my number one draft day winners for sure. The Kirby smart adjacents at this point as well, too. I mean, I, at this point, whatever you want to call them, is just a direct pipeline. It's not even a pipeline to the NFL. It's a pipeline to Pennsylvania. Cause even, all the offensive players besides Stetson Bennett went to Pittsburgh as well, too, at Roger Jones and squad. So just set from Georgia to Pittsburgh to, to Pennsylvania. It's a straight line at that point. But that's a good one. You, anytime you get two top 15 caliber players in the first round, one at nine and one at 30, and you're just in a Super Bowl with a franchise quarter. Yeah, good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, NFC and, East. That's obnoxious. And I also want to say one of the steals of the draft in Sidney Brown. Absolutely, as well, too. A high I, Philadelphia, that, that steal on Sidney Brown is – that's impressive to me. I don't know how he just landed there conveniently. And getting Keely Ringo later in the draft too, not overreaching for him with it. He's got some holes in his game, is what we'll say. But he's definitely a high. He's still a high quality prospect that they got much later than he was anticipated to go. So a very high quality draft for them as well. So for, oh, yeah, for me, for, sure. for me, when I look at winners, I think technically everybody in a way can be kind of considered a winner because you added players. But for one of them, some of them that stand out to me as well. I love the Eagles one, as we mentioned. That's a huge one. I want to go with the Arizona Cardinals. I know just because you got Paris Johnson, a franchise-caliber left tackle, who Kyler Murray asked for. So the new regime showing, hey, we are hearing you. Here you go. Like, you're our guy, blah, blah, blah. Just because you're injured doesn't mean we're going to try and replace you. You managed to trade back and get the Houston Texans' number one pick next year on top of it, plus some other stuff from the trade backs. So you're telling me right now they're projected to have the number one overall pick next year. And the number two overall pick next year, which I don't know if that's ever happened before. I don't think it has. We thought having the Texans ending up with two picks two and three this year was pretty cool. 
just imagine how crazy if you get that without having to trade at all too, what they could pull off of that. So that's absolutely incredible. And with what we see in next year's draft, you mean the Caleb Williams and Drake may sweepstakes. You could potentially end up with picks one and two. You could either keep, you could trade one of those back and get a haul. You could trade both of them back and get two hauls. There's so many options with that. Plus Marvin Harrison, Jr. Brock Bowers, the tackles from Notre Dame, Penn state, plus the guys we don't even know about right now. Cause it's a year away. That the Cardinals are set up for absolute future success right now. And that's if I'm them, I'm like, Kyler Murray, take the year off. We are going to stink this year and we are going to come back and destroy everybody in a year. Cut, just get yourself healthy. We're going to be good. We're going to get all these other guys some reps. It does not matter. Otherwise, we're D hop's probably going to get traded at some point. We're, we're good, Kyler. You'll be fine. Just hang out. Don't get yourself hurt. Plus, you throw in the likes of BJ Ojolari, Michael Wilson from Stanford, and some. Garrett Williams, the corner from Syracuse. They had a really, really nice draft, but it's Owen Popo. Owen Popo much later as well, too. Like they're they're Gucci. They're they're looking awfully good. And if they get picks one and two next year, like it's projected, or anything similar to that, I think three first round picks is the starting point for that number one overall pick. And that's where the bidding begins. And then there's still that then the bidding actually kicks in at that point. When you talk about the level of prospect Caleb Williams is as of right now. And assume he doesn't do anything yeah. to make it worse. Same with Drake May. And so maybe there's a Joe Burrow who sneaks up on us like a Quinn Ewers or something like that. Oh boy. If someone wants to trade up with the Cardinals, you're going to need a couple of Brinks trucks and some change. I don't, I don't even want to know what it's going to cost. Way too much for me. That's for danger. <laughs> uh, but no, I do. I, I will, I will say I, I do like the Cardinals draft, especially you talk about getting a new regime in there. It's like, Hey, what do you need to do when you get a new regime in there? You got to make an impact on the draft. You also have to show that you're supporting your current players, especially your superstar players. And they did, they, they, they checked both boxes. I mean, really, they did. And then I think the Paris Johnson pick was like, yeah, obviously that's who Kyler wanted. But I also think that's a safety pick in a lot of ways because Paris Johnson, in a lot of ways, was probably the can't miss tackle prospect because of his physicality and his athleticism, because he's so big, because he can slide in and out, because he's played four different offensive line positions at, at, you know, it's one point in time he can do it all. So if you emergency need somebody beside like not named Kelvin Beecham to, to go and slide across this line, you can have that happen if you need to, but obviously he is a much better tackle, but yeah, I do think, I mean, Paris Johnson, a fantastic number one overall pick, but I think just going out throughout this draft, fantastic. Maybe your only questionable pick Clayton tune. Uh, but again, if you need a, you need, you need three, you need three quarterbacks on the roster anyways. So why not? If worst case scenario, you throw him on the practice squad, let him get some reps. Maybe there's a do a nice piece that you can, if Kyler doesn't work out, maybe you can package Clayton Toon or maybe Clayton Toon turns into unsung American underdog type of story. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, but, you know, Kyler Murray, obviously being the guy next year, whether he'll be there or not, different story. But the D-Hop's D there, different story. We'll wait and see. Uh, but yeah, and- definitely like the Cardinals, Cardinals draft. And for some reason, let's say they want to go after Caleb Williams, you'll have to find a way to tr- move Kyler Murray, but you'll still probably get some picks for him as well, too. Like, I don't know how you'll move him with that contract. You'll probably have to eat a chunk of it, but you have options, which is the most you could ask for for the Cardinals with the new regime, despite a tampering scenario when you're a questionable choice as a head coach. But we won't get into that still, right now. Still, yeah, how do you get a tampering situation on Jonathan Gannon? Like, what, what, what in the world does that get a tampering conversation? You know that we don't have a lot of episode left for that. But that's a whole mess in itself. But a, we'll get a guy we'll, that we'll, no co- no team wanted him as their head coach in, until after the Super Bowl, and even mm-hmm. then, everybody was like, "Wait, what? He just gave up that much? Nah, we're good." Exactly. He was one that was 
that was the only opening left, and you were basically, you know, we're not going to get into that. Well, so yeah. we'll go with one more winner each. What's one more team when you look at the NFL draft? You're like, they walked away pretty nicely. You know, this one's tough. Um, I'd love that what the Patriots did. I got to say, I, I do love what the Patriots did, but they're not going to be my other eight. They're not going to be my top grade here. Um, I'm actually going to go with a team you're very familiar with here in the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I'm going to say the Colts at, ended up probably hitting this one out of the park as close as, as close as close to hitting this out of the park as you could possibly do from top to bottom. Obviously, getting Anthony Richardson without having to trade up or down to get him, first of all. That was a fantastic uh, ability there. Julius Brents, it's obviously the type of guy that the, the Colts love, but he obviously, he, if he can stay healthy um, is probably the big question there, but he can, he can play. If he's healthy, he can absolutely play. Uh, Josh Downs, North Carolina wide receiver, a fantastic pickup there at 79 and in the third round. You couldn't ask for better. Uh, Blake Freeland in the fourth round, I think, is a fantastic pickup. He's a very underrated guy. Uh, and, and a guy that made your top 50 list in uh, uh, Audible Warre out of Northwestern, the defensive tackle, uh, getting him basically four picks after Blake Freeland. Uh, I mean, you couldn't ask. You really couldn't ask for a better haul right there. Um, South Carolina's corner, Darius Rush. Probably not their top corner when Cam Smith was, you know, a potential possibility, but you don't hate that at all. Uh, Cause again, it fits what the Colts like to do defensively. So you, you definitely don't hate it at all. Um, and I, I will say there's an underrated guy down here um, coming, coming out of uh, Wagner here. And that's the edge Titus Leo. I, a guy that I wasn't very high on, but obviously I've watched a few, a few, a little tape on him. And I do think he's a guy that can transition to the NFL and might be that underrated, like coming out of what school type of guy, you know, like we, where you think Jerry Rice coming out of that, you know, uh, Prairie View A&M type of situation. Like it's, it's obviously not that situation, but I don't know if it'd be that great, but he, you do think like he, there's all these random players that come out of random colleges sometimes. And, and I think Titus Leo has a chance to put Wagner kind of in the forefront of somebody's mind here in, in two to three years, but I don't think it's going to be good until two, two, three years down the road. But I do think, he has that opportunity. If he gets that opportunity for the Colts, I think he could he could he could pay off. But I'd say the Colts were all three days again. Didn't really make a misstep. Maybe Evan Hole out of out of Northwestern. Ah, but you know what? Who cares? <laughs> like at that point in time, it's it's going to be your third string running back. So who really cares at the end of the day? Well, that was mine. So that was actually the next one I had too. So I was kind of add on to that as well. You get your franchise quarterback who's twenty years old. By the time his rookie deals up, he's going to be Hendon Hooker's age. You get a corner that fits your cover three scheme to a T if he could stay healthy. You get a top 50 player for me who I thought could have been a first-round receiver, an absolute slot machine that also can play on the outside despite being tiny. I, the amount of times I saw him teabag people was absolutely insane. And the, how good he – he looked dominant with Sam Howe. He looked even more dominant with Drake May. So he's not just like a product of, a, of an elite quarterback yeah. as well too. And we'll find out too when Drake May plays without him, which I think he'll be fine. But you, we'll see a lot there. And then you got double A as well. A six a six foot three, two hundred and eighty pound D lineman who ran a four six. Like what? And you got him so late too. The Colts are the I'm trying to think of how I want to award this. They you got Anthony Richardson, alien, Jelani Woods, Predator, Quentin Nelson, sub five forty second refrigerator, Jonathan Taylor, yoked track star, DeForest Buckner, the Whomping Willow. This team is full of freaks who if they can learn to play a lick of football. They're going to be like Dallas Carter from Friday Night Lights, the movie. Because walking off the bus, they are going to look terrifying. And the big mm -hmm. is, is if they can play football, 
they are going to be absolutely terrifying just getting off of that bus. And we haven't even gotten into some of the logistics like Darius Leonard and some of those other guys as well. So I agree with you. They knocked it out of the park. Now they just got to play football. And Anthony Richardson, I agree with you. Play him from day one, assuming he's not an absolute shit show in preseason and training camp and all that. Play him day one. It's not quite the same as Trey Lance, who he needed to sit and learn a little bit. He has – Anthony Richardson just needs reps. You watch him play. He moves the pocket really well, not just as an athlete, but actually weirdly evading people, kind of like what Bryce Young does, just not as elusive because he's 100 pounds heavier. He's – get him in open space. No one's touching him. Howitzer of an arm. And weirdly enough, I don't think his accuracy is quite as bad as people say it is. It's obviously not good. He has some work to do. But when you're Florida, they threw nothing under 40 yards. Everything was four verts or take off. It's kind of hard to have a high completion percentage when you're whipping it down the field every play. So I think there's a lot to work with. He's got a lot to work on. I think that ends up being a great pick as well, too. I think the hindsight scouting of him, I think, makes it an even better pick as well. So I'd agree with you on that one. I think they knocked out of the park and. I don't think they're necessarily dangerous next year, but I think they're going to annoy a lot of really good teams. I don't know if they're necessarily a playoff team, especially in the AFC, which is just stupid. But I think they're going to annoy some teams. They're going to ruin somebody else's playoff hopes, just as towards the end of the season, as Richardson, all the young guys get clicking, new offense, new coach, everything. They're going to piss somebody off and ruin somebody's playoff hopes down the line. I don't know who, but they're going to piss somebody off. Yeah. So. Oh, one hundred percent. And and well, since since you picked the your ears also the Colts, let's just shout out to the the Patriots for their draft. Uh, getting Ke- Christian Gonzalez at number 17. That's a, a hell of a pickup. Keon White at 46. Congratulations. Um, Jake Andrews, 107. City Sal. City Sal, who I'm very high on as an offensive guard, uh, sitting at 117 from Eastern Michigan. Uh, absolutely fantastic baller of a guard. And then probably the steal of the draft, or maybe there's two steals here from wide receiver. Kayshawn Booty from LSU. Or Liberty's Demario Douglas. Take your pick for which one is is the bigger still, but both of them a fantastic pick late in the draft. Butte could have been a first round pick if everything if there wasn't so many inconsistencies and other issues. But from a talent perspective, get the ball in his hands and he's an absolute menace. So if they can get the most out of him, that's going to be an outstanding pick. And I'll wrap up the one other winner I was going to mention really quick. I'm looking at Seattle. You had a bunch of picks thanks to the Russell Wilson trade, and you pretty much hit on all those early ones. Devin Witherspoon, we both agreed a top five pick, basically. A studded yeah. corner, fantastic pick. Jackson Smith and Jigba pick number 20. He's going to catch 70 balls because everyone's going to – he's going to catch at least 70 balls because they're playing too high to stop Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and he's going to cook some nickel corners and safeties and linebackers. He's All Geno Smith has to do is throw throw those quick option routes to him. And then, then you got Derek Hall, your boy, the outside linebacker, D-Ed. They need to stop the run. He'll bring you that right away, and he can rush down the passer as well. Then Zach Charbonnet. Kenneth Walker is your main running back. Charbonnet is your spell back. They'll be able to close out the game running the ball very effectively as well. So Seattle, I thought, knocked it out of the park. Then you got Cameron Young, Mike Morris out of Michigan, some other good players in between, Jarek Reed late in the draft. But those those top four picks, they were absolute home runs. So Russell Wilson doing more for Seattle while being on Denver than he had in the last few years in Seattle, it feels like. So Seattle right now, if we had to pick, I'm saying they win the NFC West. And I'm saying that with plenty of months left to go before we do predictions, and a lot of things can go wrong between now and then. But if you ask me to pick right now, Seattle's winning the West by two games. I definitely wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't put that past them. I do think they look. They had a great season this last year, and they just got better on in the draft. And then you're giving Geno a second year to, with this team, and you give him a better weapon uh, as his third as his third wide receiver or one B receiver. I don't know what you want to call Jackson JSN, but he's something. Um, and you're also going to get a fully healthy Noah Fant going into next year as well. I mean, yeah, definitely the Seahawks. On paper, probably the best team in the NFC West. Absolutely. At least right now. Plus, 
and who's playing quarterback for the 49ers at this point. We have no idea. And plus the Rams, we'll see how that bounces back. And the Cardinals, well, we just talked about. Like there's either way, we won't get too far into that. Oh, We're not gonna let's do not that. forget the return of Bobby Wagner, by the way. Exactly as well, too, which under very underrated thing. That'll help their run defense, I think, too. But we won't get too far into that. We got some losers to talk about here as well, too. And not in a negative way, just teams that walked away from the draft, not as good as these other teams. We won't call them losers because no matter what, you're adding players to your team. So who are no, your calling them losers? All right. So who's who is your draft day loser who technically isn't a loser, but is kind of a loser? Um, all right. Let me uh, yeah, okay. All right. So number one, we're gonna go with the San Francisco 49ers. I just don't like really anything they did. Their second pick was the Michigan kicker, Jake Moody. What? Hmm. Um, maybe their best pick might be Ronnie Bell at 253. Uh, I, I don't like Jair Brown at 87 overall. I don't like Cameron Latu at 101. Um, South Alabama's corner, uh, Daryl Luter, not a bad pick, but not great either. Um, TCU's linebacker, D. Winters, I, I think he was underrated in the, in the scouting process, but I also probably think you could have got him at your 247 pick and not 216. I I, I just, there's everything the Niners did, it just kind of seems like they reached on a lot of things. And then also just, it really was kind of a cluster. Like, why are you taking a kicker with your second pick? Why? There are plenty of kickers in the free agent market. There are all the kickers in the world that'll be rookies that are undrafted. Like, you could have brought in seven kickers to have a tryout for uh, during during offseason workouts, and you probably find a better kicker than what Jake Moody will end up being. Because I'm sorry, but he is not McPherson. He is not any of the uh, quarter or kickers we've seen drafted in the last ten years, twenty years. So, like, I don't, yeah, I don't like this. I, I don't, I don't like what the Niners did at all. Yeah, that was kind of a tough one as well, too. Because when I look at it, I'm like. I know you don't have a lot of picks, and that's kind of not what you're there for, but if you're going to take a kicker, it better be like Evan McPherson or something like that. You probably could have taken another player to play special teams or something like that, or a flyer on one of these quarterbacks since Lord knows what's going to happen with your quarterback position this year. Like it's, yeah. they, they did not have a very strong draft. They didn't have a lot to work with, but they did not make the most of it, if that makes sense either. So I'd agree with that. They had a very questionable draft. And looking at mine, I kind of want to say the Lions because of taking Jameer Gibbs so high and Jack Campbell. But Dan Bryant Branch in the second rounds a hit. Like it almost just bounces out. Just swap them for me and you're good at that point. Kind of want to go with the Jets, but at the same time, Pittman in the second round fits your need. And Will McDonald, we have no idea. So I wish they had taken Nolan Smith. I digress. So I'm gonna take one that's gonna kick you right in the nuts. And I'm gonna say the Dallas Cowboys were kind of a draft loser. Mm, I, I like Nolan Smith. He was in my top 50, but that I don't think that's the pick to make there. That felt like a panic pick because your boy Dalton Kincaid was already gone. That's what it kind of yep. felt like is the bill stolen from you. And you panicked and took Mozzie Smith who really good player fits a need. will eat up blockers, help stop the run. You're moving Micah Parsons, a full-time defensive end, which you kind of knew you had to have known that going in. So what I would have liked them to do is to have grab, if you weren't going to get that tight end, I want to see you grab an edge to play opposite him as well. I want, cause DeMarcus Lawrence is fine, but he's getting older. Like you have a lot of rotation. Nolan Smith was right there. Who, Comps to Micah Parsons, who I, in our big board, that was my comp form. Can you imagine having those two on the outside in a division with Jalen Hurts and Daniel Jones, mobile running quarterbacks? Good luck getting the edge on those two. I, I won't have to imagine it next year because I'll get to watch the the, the Philadelphia Bulldogs with, with him on the outside. Well, that's fine. I'm saying imagine him and then Micah Parsons. Granted, him and Hassan Reddick is not too far behind, but him and Micah Parsons, good luck. And I think you yeah. could have got Mozzie Smith or one of those D tackles in round two. Like that's 
I, I like Mozzie Smith. It's a good player. He's honestly the one pick that I kind of liked. I just think there were better options at the time. Then I looked around two. You took Luke Schumacher, the tight end out of Michigan. I know you needed a tight end. I know Dalton Kincaid was your guy. I would have preferred you've taken Michael Mayer in the first round over Luke Schumacher. He's an all right tight end, but he's not any different than Peyton Hendershot or Ferguson as well, too. Feels like that was just a positional fill in late round two. There's good players there. Like you could have taken Josh Downs there. You could still use receiver help. I know you brought in Brandon Cooks, but put him, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. And like there's a lot of ways to go. You need another running back, technically, which they did get with Deuce Vaughn later on, which I did like that pick, not just because of the fun, heartfelt part of it, but that's a good player they got. You could have grabbed another run. You could have grabbed more defensive secondary help as well, too. I know you brought in Stephon Gilmore to go with Trayvon Diggs. A third corner is not going to hurt. There's a lot of options there, and I don't like. Honestly, Mozzie Smith was fine. I would have preferred him in the second round. It's kind of everything else after that. I was left a little bit like, eh, just kind of scratching my head. Like, Faco from San Jose State, not bad. Assam Richards from North Carolina, not bad. Eric Scott, not bad. DeMarvion O'Shawn from Texas, not bad. But if there was more left on the board that they could have worked with, and I felt like they could have done a little bit better, which teams have said that before. Like when they took Travis Frederick, they were saying, why'd you take a center? Those who didn't know, now they know. But I think this one does even doesn't quite add to that. I think Cowboys had an okay draft, but they definitely, when you look at what the Eagles did, when you look at what the Giants did, and when you look at what the Washington went, Washington maybe not as much. But mostly the Eagles, when you look at what they did, I think the Cowboys definitely missed the opportunity to make a significant improvement. Yes. All of the above, yes. And this is that's the problem, is you just look at the draft and you're like, oh, oh okay. Like That being said, they had a knockout free agency, I should say, too, with the trades they had, like getting close to Stephon Gilmore. So I won't completely shit on the Cowboys. That's your job here. But I will say the draft, when your biggest competition is your in-division rival Eagles, they they came up a little short by comparison. When you watched a team who had drafted last year, of their 22 starting offensive and defensive players, had drafted 20 of their 22 starters, and then you just watch them have a draft like they just had, and you're just looking at your team like, huh, what can we do to be better? Hmm. Maybe we're going to just draft, I don't know, random guys. That's because that's what it feels like. I mean, I feel like you're exactly right, and I said this the other day, and I, I stand by it. As soon as Dalton K- K- Kincaid got tr- taken off the board by the, the Bills, it was just like panic mode. Everybody hit the panic button in that freaking Death Star of a war room. <laughs> And they were just like, oh, God, oh, what do we do? Let's next, our, our second round pick. Let's just get him right here. Mozzie Smith, that's our guy. No, that should never be the case. Like, Really good player, not the best for that spot. Yeah, like you, you're exactly right. I would take a Michael Mayer in the first round at that point in time. Like, boom, okay. Like, you already know what to do with a guy who can barely run and turn around and, and get to the sticks and, and block somebody off. Dak threw to him really well. Hmm. He came out of retirement to come back and play for you, and he did well. Trade back if you don't like that spot because you could have got both of those guys. Teams were trying to trade up in a round one for Will Levis. You could have slipped back and had more time to think about it. You were already picking 26, whatever it was at that point. You're not going that far back. No, not at all. So I'll just add one more team that I had had a loser, though. Um, I'm going to go to the Chargers. I don't think they had a great draft at all. There's a whole lot of TCU on this board. Um, Hmm. I don't mind Quentin Johnson. I don't mind Darius Davis. Max Dugan. Uh, with their 239, I'm like, oh, what, why? All right, I guess, whatever. Uh, Clemson's offensive tackle, Jordan McFadden, whatever. Don't really like it. Boise State's defensive tackle, Scott Matlock. Probably could have gotten him in free agency. Uh, Tulu Tuapalado, the USC linebacker, not even ranked in my top 10 linebackers. 
and yet he's going in as he was at the time, I believe, linebacker number two, uh, maybe three at the time. Um, so, yeah, don't really get that pick at all. Um, that like was my big round three was a good spot for him. Yeah, well, and then, then they take Dayan Henley, who was not even in my top 15 or 20 linebackers in the in the draft. When there are, there were still top five linebackers available at that time. So I don't know, again, why you're going there um, in the third round. So, yeah, I, like I get you need linebackers, but, like, get good linebackers. Don't get, I don't know what linebackers they got. I, I really don't. I, I don't know what, what they were going for because they're undersized. They are fast, but they're undersized. So I don't know if you're just going for that dime nickel package type of speedsters. I, but you're gonna you're gonna keep giving up gashing runs up the middle, which has been your problem if you're the tar- if you're the Chargers. So why would you keep doing that? I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I I just don't like the Chargers draft uh, outside of Quentin Johnson and, and Darius Davis, to be honest. Say so I love Quentin Johnson. I think that was that one was a home run for him. I, just where they got him and what it what it brings to the offense. I didn't like Tui as that second round pick, especially as a smaller edge guy too. Like he's not your problem is your run defense. You've got to learn how to stop running backs. He doesn't really help with that. Dayon Henley, I like him. He's a good linebacker prospect. I think if Houston would have got him, he'd be defensive rookie of the year with D'Amico Ryan's coaching him. He doesn't help your run defense in the same way that you need though, because you need somebody to keep blockers off of him. That's yeah. kind of my biggest thing is they didn't get somebody to plug up those holes necessarily. And that's kind of where I'm like, if Mozzie Smith was there in the second round, so maybe the Cowboys screwed their draft up well in advance. Who knows? But I think they needed more run defensive type players, like three techs, one text. They needed some girth on that. They needed to do what the Browns did where they drafted more than a thousand pounds in two consecutive in three straight players. They needed something like that. They should have grabbed DeWan Jones and said, You're playing nose now. Go dunk on people. Since we know you can dunk a basketball, go dunk on them. That's what I think that would have something like that. They needed some girth and size, and they didn't really get that outside of Quentin Johnson, ironically, who's now also their deep threat. So Love Quentin Johnson. Darius Davis late was pretty good. Then between, I kind of agree with you. There's a little bit to be desired. A lot of it to be desired. Quite a bit to be desired. But I'm excited for Justin Herbert and Kellen Moore next. You're getting, you have now Mike Williams on one side, Keenan oh, yeah. and now Quentin. They're going to have to score 40 because they're only going to get four possessions a game. So they have to score on each one of them because the other yeah. team's going to run the whole clock down. But I like their chances to actually score in. Praise the Lord. We get to see Justin Herbert uncork that cannon a couple of times a game. Now, if there's somebody who runs above a five-second 40 out there on the outside besides Mike Williams. Hey, so no, I was about to say, at least that, that will be on the field since Mike Williams will be injured. Exactly. I love Keenan Allen, but he's not really burning people these days as well, too. Mike Williams really isn't burning people either. He's just down there and dunking on them. But now and, we get and, and, can, and more importantly, can catch the ball when they're down there. Because there's Jordan Palmer who can run that fast, but he just can't catch the ball. And he, Yeah, he doesn't quite. And I'm looking, I like Quentin Johnson because now if he's – Last, Justin has the ability of, all right, Reeves 1, 2, and 3 are open. All right, Quentin Johnson's out there somewhere, and he doesn't have to just try and throw a perfect back shoulder fade or throw an alley-oop. He can just let it fly, and maybe Quentin Johnson will run underneath it too. And we saw a little bit of him in person. He can roll to the right, throw a bomb back across left. Now we have somebody who can kind of run underneath it and score. And he can throw that drag route, and like he did against Michigan in the play- in the playoff game, take it 60 yards. So I think Johnson gives Justin Herbert a little bit of ease ability, and it's not just check down to Austin Eckler. I think it's going to open up their offense a bunch, which they're going to need because it looks like they're not stopping the run again. So they're going to have to score quick, fast, and in a hurry a lot this year, which, you know what, they might just do. But I agree with you. The middle of that draft, meh. Just very meh. It wasn't their finest hour, but that's going to lead us now into the back half of the main event where, you know what, we got roughly one year till the draft, so why not go completely way too early? 
our offensive rookie and defensive rookie of the year predictions before those teams have even necessarily got their numbers situated as well. I'll let you go first. We'll both do offense. Well, then we'll both do defense. Lead the way. What do you think for offensive rookie of the year? Way too damn early to choose. I'm going to go B. John Robinson, offensive rookie of the year. I think the obvious, the, the, the probably the favorite choices are CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, obviously, Anthony Richardson, potentially. Um, I'm going to go a little different. I think Atlanta stays run heavy and goes B. John Robinson a lot. And uh, as long as he stays healthy, I think we'll see kind of what we saw from Brees Hall and, and Kenneth Walker last year, where they were just explosive when they got the ball. I think Bijan Robinson has that opportunity because Atlanta isn't a bad run blocking team. I mean, if Cordell Patterson can give you a thousand yards, uh, you know what? Maybe Bijan Robinson can give you give fifteen hundred. Hmm. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Plus, in the past game, you know he's going to get some work while they avoid throwing the ball to Kyle Pitts at all costs. So I like that one as well. I'm going to hammer home off of your pick, and it's going to be a little bit of a homer pick too, but I think Anthony Richardson has a really good case just because of his ability to score touchdowns with his legs. The amount of th- times I think they're going to do that, Jalen Hurst, they might only win six games, but I don't think Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, they're going to be great, but I think they don't have as much of a supporting cast and they're not leading their teams to the playoffs. Will Levis, we'll see if he plays. The receivers, none of them quite feel like a Jamar Chase or anything quite like that. And so... I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson because I can see him having a similar rookie year to what Cam had, where it's like 20 passing touchdowns, 10 rushing touchdowns, where the wins aren't really there, but the final numbers look really good. And in that Shane Steichen offense with Jonathan Taylor's back there too, it's going to make things really easy. And I think he's going to get so much better down the stretch. He might make that nice little burst in the last month that kind of sways voters' minds. So I'll go with Anthony Richardson too because I think he's also going to have the highlight real plays. I think it's going to be... It's going to be the quote-unquote sexy pick by the end of it because it's going to be the one you see all the highlights on Twitter and stuff like that. They'll probably only win six games, but I think they're going to look really good doing it, if that makes sense. So I'm going to I'm going to yeah. piggyback off your top draft and go with Anthony Richardson. And we're going to see number five in the end zone a lot, so that's what that's what I'm going to roll with. So now for defensive rookie year, this is where it gets a little bit fun. I'll let you go ahead and lead the reins on this one because I have an idea. But then again, I always think I have an idea with your pick, and I'm always dead wrong. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little probably a little different here oh, with defensive rookie of the year, um, but I'm gonna actually go Christian Gonzalez with New England. Um, I, I wanted to say Devin Witherspoon. I think obviously he has a great opportunity there in Seattle, but I do think Christian Gonzalez with the Sith Lord as his commander in chief, if you will, um, is gonna be just that exceptional in New England's offense uh, in New England's defense. I mean, he might as well be playing offense because he's gonna be just like oh. Pick, 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 and then he's going to use his four three speed to go and, and return it for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't see a way that Christian Gonzalez doesn't at least end up as a conversation piece for the defensive rookie of the year, as long as he stays healthy. Um, I think, I think he's going to be up there. So yeah, give me, give me Christian Gonzalez, defensive rookie of the year. Not going to lie, that was my pick, so that kind of throws me in a bind here. But so what I'm going to do is. I'm going to go with Mozzie Smith. No, I'm just kidding. That wouldn't that be something though? Don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to take him on even worse. I think it's going to be Nolan Smith too, because I had him as a top 10 player on our big board. He's going to, you can't double team him under any circumstance with the, where he's at now. And I think he's going to end up with like that 10, 11, 12 sacks, even in just situational rush, just kind of like what Alden Smith did with the 49ers, his rookie year. He's his only job is going to be use your freakish speed and go hit the guy with the ball, which at Georgia, he was, he's a top 10 player going into the year until he got hurt. He was chasing down Bryce Young last year in the open field. He's a sensational prospect. I think he's going to be used similar to what Micah Parsons was, which is why I think the Eagles were literally pooping themselves when he was sitting there. So I think he's going to have a great rookie year. And he probably he might not get the votes because he's on the Eagles. They'll be like, well, his job's easy. But I think he's going to put up the numbers to do. So I'm going to go with Nolan Smith, who I've been I've been the biggest supporter of since 
basically when we were doing color cast games with him last year. So I'm going to stick with it now. It's even though I hate the fact that he's an eagle right now. Yeah, no, I like that. I pick. Uh, also, give me a dark horse here in uh, Lucas Van Ness. That's, just, a, that's a really good dark horse. I, I just I feel like I don't know. I might expect something special out of him, um, especially in Green throw, Bay. There's a, there's a lot to do, lot to be done in Green Bay. I'll throw in a dark horse of my own too. I'm going to go with Emmanuel Forbes, the guy that everyone is doubting just because he has a weird knack for getting the ball and putting it in the end zone. Granted, the way he gets picks, some tip picks, some weird goofiness, but he feels like everyone wrote him off. Maybe he's not going to write back. Who knows? And in that division, Dak sometimes will put it up. Jalen will sometimes put up. Daniel Jones will sometimes put up. He might have a lot of opportunities to replicate his touchdowns he did in college. So I'll take Emmanuel Forbes as a dark horse, but not someone I'm putting a whole lot of money on. Yeah, in that case, maybe throw Deontay Banks up there as well because he's playing now in that division. So who knows? what? Any corner that's playing against the Cowboys at some point in time probably has a good chance to – Hell, you know what? Let's throw Mozzie Smith in there because he's going to get a lot of time stopping the run coming off the picks. You know, we could do this all day, but I think it's going to be an interesting, definitely an interesting race to come back to watch. And we'll come back to this. If any of our picks are dead on, we will come right back to it, especially if we will be recutting this. Now, I know you already got your marking this day on the calendar as well, too. But that'll do it for our main event, which is going to now take us into Kelsey's favorite part of every show. That is, of course, Crunch Time brought to you by our good friends over at Outlier, outlier outlier.bet backslash Hilo Sports. Free seven-day trial. Give your give yourself a chance to bet smarter, not harder, and win a little bit of money as well, too. Pay, find some odds, trends, and everything you need to spend your money wisely. And for crunch time, we got some Tom Fuller to look at. I'm going to keep mine quick. We got the return of an all-time great fighter, Henry Cejudo, this weekend, fight, fighting to take back the 135-pound belt against Aljamain Sterling. And he's already laid out a plan where he wants to win that belt back, fight, defend it once, then go up to fight at 145, try and get his third UFC title in a different division to go along with the gold medal. So return of Henry Cejudo plus some really, really good fights on the undercard should be a very good one. A good one to pay attention to. Now they got that out of the way. You, you got it. We talked about fisticuffs. You got a mess to clean up though. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go Antonio Brown. If you guys don't know Antonio Brown, uh, the legend that was a B at one point in time now owns the all is, is partial owner of actually, we don't even know what type of owner he is of the <laughs> Albany empire because it was originally reported that he purchased 47.5% of the Empire on March 2nd. If you guys don't know, the Albany Empire are an arena football league team. Um, so that is what they do. Uh, so uh, one of the better uh, you know, arena teams actually as well. They did just win a championship last year. So now, not only does do we not know whether he's actually purchased 47.5%, but Antonio Brown himself has come out and said that he owns 100% of the team. And there's been problems. Go figure that Antonio Brown owns a team and there's problems with said team. Uh, most notably, the team has not played player, paid players or coaches since April 21st. Mind you, Antonio Brown took over on March 2nd. Um, so about a month after he took over, a month and a half, they, uh, they have not been paid. They're supposed to be paid every Friday during the season, but no one received their direct deposit on April 28th. On Sunday, the Empire played the Carolina Cobras without payment and suffered a loss. One day later, head coach Damon Ware left the team because of the missed payments. Now the Empire's acting presidents, he has told the new uh, one of the newspapers that the missed payments stem from an issue of payroll processors, which occurred when the former owner sold his shares of the team to, obviously, Antonio Brown. Well, now they have no head coach, but don't fret. No, no, no. They brought back their former head coach recently. By the way, still have not paid players yet. But they have also suspended six of their best players and uh, due to an altercation on the team bus in Carolina after that game. And they've been not only suspended, but they did not receive their room keys 
to their rooms at the Albany Holiday Inn when they return back to Albany. Uh, after that, they, the police have been called to aggravated harassment at the hotel. Investigation is still ongoing. We still don't know whether Antonio Brown is, is, is making payments. Um, the Empire won in two through their three games. Just this, all this stuff stemmed out. And it, then now there's rumors that Antonio Brown might start playing for the Albany Empire. Because why not? There was also, by the way, he tweeted that he was going to sign with the Baltimore Ravens, and that didn't work out either. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with Antonio Brown anymore. But right now, it is an absolute mess for one of the better teams that that plays in the Arena League. And I, I don't know how much crazier this can get. By the way, he is partial owner with his father. Um, so yeah, I, it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy in Albany. Business was booming, or I guess it wasn't. We'll have to wait and see. That's an absolute mess to keep an eye on as well, too. Hopefully it doesn't cost it, come at the cost of the Albany Empire as well. Hopefully their season is at the full because it hopefully gets worked out sooner rather than later. But something we'll keep an eye on as well, too. But we appreciate you all for joining us here this Wednesday evening, or if you're checking us out on one of your favorite podcast apps as well, too. Go ahead and let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, and everything in between as well. We appreciate you spending some time with us, and we'll see you all again next week.